Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith. And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics. We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policymakers, and issues that face voters. Hi, Deirdre. Hi, Robbie. So this is our third installment in our new format, Short Podcast. Remind our listeners what the title of this segment is. This segment is entitled, As the Legislature Spins Us Right Around. Okay, so I'm starting to notice a little bit of a theme here. (laughs) We've got war, what is it good for? If I had $2 billion, and as the legislature spins us right round. So (laughs) these are all songs? They're all songs, every Are, single one of them. If if I had two billion dollars was kind of a was kind of a gimme. Yeah. I was just wondering if they were all eighties songs, but I think the bare naked ladies were in the nineties, so they were actually, yeah. yeah. I, I was eighties, but you know, I couldn't resist if I had two billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. It was just in my face. <laughs> <laughs> So the legislature has been sitting, um, I guess, for about three weeks now, going on three weeks, and Mm -hmm. it's been a pretty busy three weeks. The legislative agenda is definitely moving along, not quite uh, as impressively as the Doug Ford legislature, according to him. But (laughs) (laughs) yes, Yes. His, his government is moving faster than possibly any government in history yeah <laughs> but I, uh, I wish i was kidding <laughs> yeah no in defense of the ucp they are actually accomplishing a lot that's on their list and being fairly effective um it's few and far between that you'll see me defending the ucp but here i am and i need a shower yeah <laughs> as of thursday june 13th they'd introduced bill nine yeah i i think that's more than the ndp did in their first whole year isn't it uh, yes. The 2015-2016 legislative session, there was nine government bills. Oh, wait. And they restart, so it's bill one to nine, yeah. but then how did we get up to 24? So there was actually 24 bills in 2016-2017. Oh, crud. Okay. Yeah. In 2016-2017, there was 37 government bills. In the third session, which was 2017-18, they had 34 government bills. And that's when Bill 24 came in the Act to Support Gay-Straight Alliances. And then in the 29th legislature fourth session, uh, which was 2018-2019, they had 32 government bills. So the UCP has already introduced more bills than the NDP did in their whole first year. That's right, because they were actually very slow in their first year as they were uh, learning the ropes and, well, and let's face it, they didn't know they were going to be government. Yep. Kenny expected to be government. These bills have been written for a while. 
it's one thing that, although I don't agree with the majority of the content of the bills, it's one thing that I do actually respect about the UCP's preparation that they've put in to being ready to govern and the fact that they did have legislation already written and ready to go. Um, yeah, the yeah. quality <laughs> is... <laughs> they yeah, they the, may have been a little hurried. Well, they're, they're certainly focusing on quantity over quality, that's for sure. Yeah, Bill 9 uh, is dubbed the Public Sector Wage Arbitration Deferral Act. I've renamed this one as well. Okay. This is the We Can't Afford Wage Increases Act. Yeah, except <laughs> it's not just wage increases. They're talking about rolling back public sector wages, which, yeah, it's... um. They're certainly setting themselves up for a big war. That's for sure. Um, but there was, I, I know I read uh, David Kleimenhaga's article about the Edmonton Public Libraries cutting pages salaries. Yeah. Down to because they were under 18, right? So now yeah. they're allowed to pay them less, uh, thanks to bill number three. Now, one thing that I had to say, even when I read that, I, I get the outrage on behalf of unions, but Jason Kenney, thanks to what we talked about in our last episode, where he uh, used to have $2 billion for uh, Alberta government revenue, and now he doesn't. In order to balance the budget, he's going to have to cut $9.5 billion out of the operational budget, one-fifth of our current budget. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So do we really expect the UCP to continue to fund libraries at the at the uh, rates that they have been? No, that's no. not a priority. No. <laughs> so I, I actually, you know, my comment around that was that, you know, they're going to lose funding. Like, yeah, if they can save some money right now. Uh, yeah, they're going to take advantage of it. I, I realize there's an agreement and all of these other things, and that won't make me popular with the left. But So an update on that, too, it came out this afternoon, um, late this afternoon, is that the Edmonton Public Library has actually backed down on that, and they are going to continue to pay their underage workers $15 an hour. Uh, I just gave the perfect argument, the perfect reasoning why they <laughs> should take advantage of it, but okay. Yeah, well, the public backlash is, is you know, Edmonton's uh, has uh, right, right. come by its nickname of Redmonton quite, uh, although now it's Orangemonton, which doesn't have quite the same ring. It really but, doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> they should they should get me to, you know, yeah. I'll, the other I'll, thing I'll find a new name. <laughs> the other thing that's really funny about this whole piece is that um, the pages as well in the legislature are maintaining their $15 an hour. So I'm sorry, but that is something. And this is, uh, you don't know that we're going here, but this is something that I really want your perspective on because I find it very well done if this is what they're doing. Public sector wages have not gone down. Yes, there's been some freezes, but not everywhere. And this is something that, you know, like you said, the boot has come out and they're going to put it on the necks of the public service. The options really might be you need to figure out how to cut 
uh, wages or we're going to have to cut departments. So I really think there's a lot of bargaining power behind Jason Kenney. So communication of these bills, the labor response to them leaking this information beforehand, before it was actually tabled in the legislature and and everyone could get a good look at what it was, the response from the labor unions communications or lack thereof be designed to freak the left out so to speak so that they go and the sky is falling and all of these things are awful and then they look like they're overreacting when the conservatives come in and say yeah we're not actually talking about you know overriding negotiations what we want to do is just delay them a little bit until we can get our budget together and they come out kind of looking like you know we're just being reasonable people we're we're just being fiscally conservative we're being cautious and in the meantime quote unquote the left went nuts uh, i think another element of it too is that the conservatives are just testing the resolve of the labor movement and kind of trying to break them or wear them down a little bit following the election campaign. It's like a new relationship or uh, related back to work when you have a new employee, they're testing the boundaries. <laughs> Can I get away with this? You know, that's possible as well. But I, I that thought came around and I thought that would be impressive. Yeah, it, it it would from an optics or something that can either help or hinder your cause. Right. Yep. So if they can, if they can look like they're being the adults in the room, which, okay, about time, if they can look like that, it just bolsters their cause. Totally. And yeah. Well, and it, it fits with the UCP rhetoric about the NDP being the anger machine and, and oh, yeah, the NDP has been pretty angry since they've been not in government. So, uh, yeah, I love the fact that conservatives can decide to go somewhere else with the messaging and they stay there. Yeah. Like they will manage to change uh, anger machine, which used to refer to the wild rose. The wild rose yeah. was the anger machine for years. They were the anger machine. And I think they will be, you know, the UCP will be successful because yeah. they have uh, they have some incredible staying power with that change in messaging that it's it's incredible. And everyone should learn how to do that. Yeah, no, it works. The message discipline is very strong within the conservative movement, especially since they've been unified in both Alberta and federally. And it's uh there's very little diversity of thought when the brain trust. <laughs> <laughs> One might argue there's very little thought, but there's very little diversity of thought once talking points are issued. So, so other things that uh, have occurred in the legislature during the past week or so, we had a Bill 3, which was introduced. Do you have a special name for it? Yes, that was the We Can't Afford Public Services Act. Ah, yeah. So we're starting to notice the theme <laughs> here as well. Yeah. So this is the bill which is going to see the corporate tax rate drop, which kind of ties into our last conversation uh, that we mm -hmm. had, our, our last segment about losing revenue. So the corporate tax rate is going to drop 1% on July 1st, and then it's going to drop 1% each subsequent year on January 1st till it reaches 8%. So again, very much about giving a break to their generous benefactors. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. That's because I'm I I had a I have arguments with my aunt on Facebook a fair amount. Um, my aunt Loretta for people that come to my defense and sometimes get a little too snarky. It's my aunt. We have to <laughs> see each other and you know. So anyway, but we had a conversation tonight and she said, you know, why is it bad to help people create jobs? And here's my argument. I understand in certain situations, like if you have if you have a tax that it's too high. That whole Laffer curve thing, it doesn't come down. Look what happened in Calgary, right? The businesses were like, there is no way we can afford this kind of an increase overnight. That, yeah. like, it was, it was, what, some people were calculating 400% increase? That was too much. You can't, you can't expect a business to continue to function when their taxes go from 3000 to 15000 Like, whoa, that's a big number. But that's not the case, with the provincial corporate tax rate. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there were some missteps on the part of the NDP, too. Uh, former economic development minister, Darren Billis, who's now an opposition critic, kind of made a, a cross comment about if businesses can't afford a couple of extra thousand dollars a month, maybe their business plan isn't very good, which is a common talking point to the left. But Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like small businesses that may be incorporated can't afford a couple extra thousand dollars a month. So, you know, there was rather large backlash and he actually wound up apologizing in the house for it. So, yes. you know, the NDP was baited and took the bait and made themselves look out of touch. Because the thing about Alberta that I think most people who've lived here any period of time really understand is there's a very strong entrepreneurial spirit. Now, the other challenge that kind of precipitates this bill is that you've got some people in the School of Public Policy in Calgary, which are fantastic. And then you've got some who are UCP partisan boosters that, you know, if they said we're going to give everybody in the province dog crap and it'll create jobs, the UCP would be like, sure, let's do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just kind of a feedback loop where they support each other. So there's two challenges is you've got these rate payer groups that have created this narrative that all taxes are bad and we need to cut them. And that's the only way you grow the economy and jobs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a race to the bottom that's occurred where we're now competing against our neighbors we're competing against you know american states and it's kind of like this whole carbon tax argument all you're doing is displacing jobs from one place to another as mm -hmm. you know head offices move and corporations move here and there and whatnot and the thing too is that in 2017 i think it might have been 2017 the raw sorry the uh, not the estimated numbers, but the actual numbers that came in. Um, Alberta businesses paid uh, $3.84 billion in corporate taxes. Yeah. So revenues down, right? Like they're just, there's not a lot of money being made by these corporations. And I can tell because even at 12%, you know, $3.8 billion, that doesn't cover a lot. And my argument against this really is that if a business is struggling and a 1% decrease in their corporate tax 
might give them a little more life. I don't know if they'll make it to January if it's that bad. Secondly, they're not hiring because the, the demand is not there for their products or their services. That's why they're in trouble to begin with. So this 1% tax cut, this is not going to create jobs because it's not enough. And it also doesn't address what the actual problem is. Our economy is suffering. And again, not the entire economy, but a large section of the economy isn't actually, you know, it's self-suffering, but it's suffering for jobs. And you know what? If the demand was there, they would have already hired because they are still posting a profit. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and job Adams, loss, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Job losses have continued to happen since the UCP's taken power. So, you know, it. I think you had a tweet that you posted that Kenny promised 50,000 new jobs, but we had lost 180,000 prior to him coming in and was at 23,000 now. So he's now like negative 150,000 jobs he's got to make up. Yeah. Like, yeah. like this is just, it's a ridiculous number. Now, granted that number came from him. This is not something that can be managed by a 1% corporate tax decrease. That, that's not the problem. And the other thing is, is that the finance minister Taves has even said oh. that at the end of this cut when they get to 8% in year four, they're still going to be net negative revenue. And their whole argument was <laughs> that by losing money. <laughs> yeah. Well, their whole argument was by cutting the tax down to 8%, the associated economic growth that's going to offset that and they'll come out ahead. But it's going to take more than four years to do that. These jobs aren't coming back in time for people who need them like if if Kenny's number is correct if there were 170,000 unemployed Albertans during the last four years who are still unemployed guess what Jane Kenny didn't tell you you're still going to be unemployed but in the meantime we're going to give a tax break to the corporations that aren't hiring you because maybe in four years they might yeah no it's super bizarre uh We've talked about this a little bit before, but I think the better policy approach would be to raise the threshold at which you're considered to be a small business. Right. Uh, if you raise that threshold from 500000 which is where it's at now, to 750000 or a million dollars before you pay the corporate tax rate, that would do a lot more in terms of job creation and freeing up capital. And yeah. I, I kind of use this... I equate it to the same argument that the NDP uses about minimum wage. If you've got a small business that gets a big tax break, small businesses are very less likely to hoard that money or hoard capital. They're far more likely to reinvest in their business, whether it be with hiring or purchasing stock or expanding footprint, that type of stuff. And those yeah. are the things that do really drive demand in the business and employment sectors. And so, you know, it's kind of the same argument. One thing that I, the NDP has done poorly is they've tried to paint all business as these evil corporate overlords that are just who are so taking advantage wealthy. of labor. Yeah, who are so wealthy. Yeah. And that's just not at all the reality of the majority of small businesses. I know and am married to um, somebody who is a small business operator and 
for the two and a half years that he was in business, he made less money than all of his employees did. You know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to justify being in business when your take home pay is less than your staff is right he wound up closing up shop because it just didn't make sense and so he laid off three people because of that right so Mm -hmm. exactly there's other ways to do it but we don't have time to get into that again because we still have two more pretty important things that happened in the legislature this week one was that travis uh scooped the minister of education by telling or sorry by answering a question in the legislature that uh finally that they would fully fund enrollment which means a slight increase in education funding i found it kind of interesting that adriana lagrange was so candid with the media in that she wasn't happy about being scooped by the finance minister but um, <laughs> I'm sure she got her PP slap for that in private. You know, I think it plays into part of the strategy that the UCP is trying to employ as well, of showing that the NDP is just a bunch of rage monkeys who are disconnected from reality. And the UCP is claiming education is one of their priorities. I think that a part of this is that they can't justify funding private schools and more religious charter schools while simultaneously cutting public education. And so Mm -hmm. there's a political calculation here that they can funnel a bunch of money into religious and niche charter schools as long as they continue to support public education for the time being. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Another thing that I actually also thought or considered was whether or not Adriana LaGrange had not been given the go-ahead to say that when Travis Taves said it, that it's possible he was speaking out of turn. It's out there now, and they can't do anything about it. But I did consider that, just, you know, that she had, that she'd been asked regularly in the legislature so far, is it going to be funded? Are you going to fund new enrollment? And her non-answers for so long made me think that she didn't know and she hadn't been told that, yes, they would. Just remember, it's called question period, not answer period, right? That's true. (laughs) (laughs) You know, with LaGrange, I think we have to stop referring to her as the Minister of Education now as well, right? (laughs) We do. Yeah, so we have a little clip we're going to play for you here. I care about every single student, regardless of the label that um, they have. And so I, I care about every single student, whether they are, um, you know, whatever. Isn't that something? That played into the exact thing that everyone was afraid of with the UCP coming in and and having these roles, these extremely important roles being in charge of these extremely important things in the lives of Albertans, the minister of whatever. Yeah. The minister of whatever, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like Like that as a member of the LGBTQ2 community, it deeply concerns me that somebody who claims that they respect (laughs) all students Mm -hmm. 
including ones who are members of that community, can't even bring herself to say the word gay or LGBT or whatever. Um, It's a little scary and kind of horrifying. On the other hand, man, was it fun watching her squirm like that. (laughs) That is that is. It is a cute clip. I highly recommend. I'm pretty sure it's going to be around for a long time. In fact, I don't even know for sure, but if you Google Mr. Whatever, is it already there? (laughs) (laughs) Has it already been uploaded to YouTube as Minister of Whatever? I haven't Uh, looked. What I'm I'm looking for, hoping for, is that we get a dubstep remix of In Due Course and Minister of Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. It, yes, yes. I, I have a feeling that they'll all have their own special names. Yeah. Well, there's already a troll account, Albert Education Minister, whatever. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, it's got three followers, but <laughs> it's Administer Whatever One, and uh, oh. the bio is Minister in Charge of Whatever Needs to Be, you know, whatever, and don't make me say the G <laughs> word. <laughs> oh, nasty. Yeah. Joined in the Dark we... Ages, or uh, born in the Dark Ages. <laughs> you know, and as much as, like, politics is heavy sometimes, right? I followed Jason Kenney for two years straight. It can be really heavy and really mentally draining when you see a lot of this stuff. And, you know, the the satire, the parody... Because if you can't laugh at some of this stuff, and because it wasn't, that wasn't funny, right? That was awful that you know, a lot of people watch that and just their mouths dropped. Well, but it, it's really we... pathetic that a minister of the crown can't say the word gay. And right. Adriana LaGrange is not an inexperienced politician. She's been a school board trustee. She led a pro-choice or a pro-life group and is quite comfortable in front of a camera this is nothing to do with a lack of media savvy or experience it's everything to do with just feeling it's a dirty word yeah Uh, well it's like she's worried she's gonna catch it (laughs) that's that is the absolute thing that i've always said i think people believe and even in some of the uh some of the rhetoric around why Bill 24 had to go, people believe that you can be taught to be attracted to a different sex. Yeah. Right? Like, so they, they actually do believe that this is something that you can, quote unquote, catch. If if the person, you know, is talking to your kid, they can turn gay. Yeah. And it, I, I... I struggle with that as a person in general, but I struggle with it also when I'm thinking about my sexuality because I think, gee, is the only reason I'm attracted to men uh, because someone taught me to do that? I was raised in a household of women. I'm not, although, you know, that can have the the, uh, not loved effect of going, wow, I need to get out of here. Um, but still like it just, do you honestly believe that if just, if somebody would have talked to you the right way, 
that your straight life would have been completely different and you'd be gay. Like, they don't think that about themselves. Yeah. They really don't. One of my favorite questions is, when did you decide to be straight? And yes. most people are like, <laughs> well, I was born that way. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Like, my second memory as a child, besides getting a trike for my third birthday, is thinking, oh, I like boys. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. I didn't have a name for it, but that's my second memory. You know, I knew I had I had crushes on I had crushes on boys. And the thing is, I went to, you know, a, a mixed gender school. I had the option of having crushes on girls. Yeah. But, like if it was that easy, I could have. Yeah. Yet it didn't happen. So we really took that one off on a tangent. Yeah, we did. That's OK. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yes. So it is 1.14 a.m. and we're going to call these three episodes a wrap. And we will be back recording this weekend when we're going to talk about federal politics. So look for those. Awesome. Bye, Robbie. Bye, Deirdre. Thanks for joining us for this episode. This has been the Political R&D Podcast with Robbie Krieger-Smith. And Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. Where can people find you, Deirdre? They can find me on Twitter at Mitchell underscore AB. And you can find me online at RKS Alberta. The Political R&D Podcast is available wherever you get your podcast, And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political R&D. Mm-hmm.